Welcome to The Bolt, the official podcast of Trinity Basin Preparatory, a charter school in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where we share interesting stories and strategies from across our district. I'm Connor Rogers. With me as always, it's my co-host, Mr. Trey. Hey, Connor. How are you today? I am very excited because we have our guest today. We, we, okay, so we say we're excited every episode, and we are, but we this, are. Is, this is a pretty big deal. This is like... I, like I was telling you, like we landed the white whale in instructional podcasting waters. We did. And this, so our guest today is actually someone who's been name checked on one of our earlier podcasts, our leadership uh, episode uh, by uh, Ryan, Ryan Kayser, Steve Barkley from Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud. Uh, so he's, yeah, he's big name in education, mainly focused on instructional coaching um, and the reflective practices of coaching. He's got a bunch of books out. He's got a blog. He's and he podcasts, and he releases a blog post and a podcast every week. Yeah. That's commitment. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, every other week is killing me slowly. Right, right. We, yeah, it's us. Every it's, week is crazy. Yeah, so this is this is just a great chance to learn from someone outside our district, you know, right. and, and I always think it's good to get exposed to new ideas and new people, so I'm excited. Yeah, and 10,000 followers on Twitter, so. Oh, what's, what's his Twitter handle, by the way? I'm just curious. Oh, it's at Steve Barkley, so follow him and... Uh, Hopefully, uh, uh, he'll follow us too, and, and we can do some cross promotion <laughs> so here. This he's got ten thousand followers. We have ten followers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you know, maybe we can even those numbers out a little sure. bit. But yeah, no, I've just um, this is a guy who's taught internationally and coached internationally, and we, I mean, we video conferenced with him for a pre-show meeting, uh, and he was telling us about how he's conferenced to China and Saudi Arabia, and yeah, I'm like, <laughs> I I drove on I thirty today, <laughs> a like, little like, less, yeah. yeah. So, all right, well. Let's get into it. All right, so here we are. Let's talk to Steve Barkley. Well, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you being here. Appreciate your time. You're yes, welcome. welcome. I'm happy to be here. Welcome, Steve. I, I, I did want to share. Uh, we wanted to kind of uh, get familiar with your work beforehand. So I, I looked at your your site and was going through some of your podcast episode titles, and I saw one that said "Coaching Better Podcast Interview." And I lit up because I thought you were going to coach me on how to be a better podcast <laughs> interviewer for the, uh, the coach the podcast itself. And you were a guest on as well. So, and then I got into coaching and I was immediately out of my element. Um, as we explained, Connor is our, uh, one of our instructional coaches here at TBP at Trinity Basin Preparatory. Um, and, and I'm just a lowly IT manager. Um, but uh, it, it was really great. So thank you for being here. And maybe we'll learn some, pick up some well, stuff from you. Well, time. Well, listen up. Uh, you, you've put the request in now, so I'll honor it. Um, uh, what uh, podcast you'd like me to coach you on? I'll do, a, <laughs> I'll do a pre-conference. I'll listen to the podcast, and uh, and uh, then we'll do a post-conference. <laughs> we Perfect. may take you up on that. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I just stay on that just a sec. I just got a note sure. yesterday that somebody's in a graduate class and they have to uh, critique a, a podcast. So she asked for permission to critique one of mine. And I said, of course. And then she wrote back and said, just a caution. They told us to be brutal. <laughs> oh, nothing like a brutal grad student critique. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the process of, uh, of recording and, and distributing a podcast. So um, is there anything that you've learned or any advice you'd like to give us or something that was harder than you thought it would be when you got into this? Well, uh, you know, similar to uh, I started blogging about 12 years ago and uh, people told me uh, that it was a great way to extend your own learning. 
that if you created that discipline to sit down and, and do the blog, uh, it, it caused you to think of things during the week and then you ended up paying more attention to them in order for you to do the, uh, do, do the blog. So that certainly turned out to be true. Uh, uh, for me, it's extended my, uh, extended my learning, um, as well as my uh, written communication skills, I, I think with the blog. So I took on the podcast with the uh, same expectation and uh, I, I found the same thing to be true. Uh, a little bit that's making the podcast easier is that I'm getting requests from people who uh, who uh, have a, a a question they want to explore, or uh, or a book that they've uh, that they've written and they'd like to talk about it. So actually, in some cases, um, finding uh, finding the material for the podcast was uh, easier than the material for the blog. Understandable. So what, what would you say has been the most rewarding part about uh, kicking up the podcast project? Um, when I'm, when I'm uh, presenting somewhere and the person gets up to uh, introduce me and as part of the introduction, they say, I, um, I drive to school at least one morning a week with Steve Barkley next to me in the car. Uh, that's sweet because when you're doing the work as, as you guys well know, you have this question in your mind, is anybody paying attention to this? Right. (laughs) So, so with, with, uh, with my travels being pretty far and wide, it's, uh, it's neat to be far from home and get that comment from someone. That's great. And you just hit your 100th episode, I believe, correct? In in July, right? You had a hundred. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which when, when Joe and I decided to do this, I decided to make the same commitment that I made to the blog. And that was uh, uh, once a week with the, uh, with the exception of the uh, uh, December holiday, mm-hmm. take two weeks off that. Uh, and uh, I, there's a couple of times I've wondered, I'm sure I've scared Joe because he's the one that's got to post them and uh, <laughs> it's getting awful close and he hasn't gotten anything from me yet. Uh, <laughs> But we've uh, we've managed to uh, to keep the discipline and hold to it. I, I commend you for that because we 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 tried ourselves over the past couple of months to try to be more consistent and have a regular uh, posting schedule of every other week. So every week, that's that's uh, that's admirable. Absolutely. Um, so, what would you say has been the best advice you've been given from other podcasters or maybe even listeners uh, about the art of podcasting? Um. I don't know that anyone's given me the advice, but um, I, I walk for my exercise and uh, I jump around on a lot of podcasts while I'm while I'm walking. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think the the thing that I have uh, found from listening to others that I work to do in mine is to uh, stay as natural as possible. So I've 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 greatly uh, I've greatly valued uh, 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 Joe Jacobs, my uh, my uh, producer's uh, cut and splice ability, which allows us to do the podcast very informally. And, uh, and uh, you know, it it comes out sounding much better than what we recorded, but that informal nature uh, keeps a thread through it. And I I think people, I think people appreciate that. I I don't think people want to listen to a lecture. You know, a a lot of my podcasts have someone else on, and so then it's really a uh, it's really a a, a conversation. Um, Joe just uh, released one for me uh, a week or two back here, where that Jim Knight and I recorded together, 
And I, I think to the listener, it's obvious Jim Knight and I had a conversation and we just turned on the, the recording device while we had the conversation. If it's just me, I'm kind of thinking out loud. Um, and that's, that's what I'd like it to sound like. Experience as a coach help you generate questions for the podcast? Certainly experiences that, I, that I'm having uh, while coaching are a, uh, are a plus and a, uh, and, and a benefit uh, to, uh, to thinking about what to, what to write about or podcast on. Um, and in addition, will share things with me. Um, sometimes I'll just get a note that says, I think this is something you ought to, you ought to podcast on or, or blog on. Uh, and then other times I, I frequently end my presentations telling people that if they'll send me a question or an issue, they'll get free coaching uh, from me <laughs> in exchange, in exchange for the fact that they provided me with the content for my next podcast or blog. Okay. Um, so you mentioned uh, in your podcast and your, in your intro a little bit that you said you've had the opportunity to learn with educators at all levels, both nationally and internationally. And one thing that kind of interested to us was like a little more about your international experience. So you've mentioned that you will sometimes Skype into a PLC in a different country. Could you tell us a little bit about what that's like to work at the international level? Yeah. Now, just a note that uh, my international work uh, tends to be with international schools. So while I'm working, while I'm working in different countries, there's still a common element of the the school that I'm working with is uh, is uh, 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 is an international school. Um, but for an example, I'm doing a lot of work right now with a group of seven schools in uh, in Saudi Arabia, and um, we've we've done everything on Skype from training sessions for administrators and coaches to uh, last week I had the chance to interview the uh, the superintendent I shouldn't say interview had a chance to do a coaching session with the superintendent that he did live in front of his administrative team um, which I, I thought was just powerful modeling and by the time we were absolutely done, by the time we were done one of the principals had contacted me to do the same thing uh, two days later with his teaching staff so that that that's the the, the power of that uh, uh, modeling. Um, and in that particular group, I've I actually skyped in to uh, to do the keynote with uh, with 400, uh, 400 teachers in the audience. So um, I, I'm I, I'm learning that uh, if you set up facilitation correctly with the right technology, you can get awful close to uh, to a live presentation. Um, so speaking about instructional coaching now, I'm going to nerd out about instructional coaching, Mr. Trey, you're going to have to like pull me back a little bit. Um, but so we were talking, you kind of, you mentioned earlier, like we have a pre-conference, we have an observation and then the post-conference, which of those three elements would you say is the most important? And if you were pressed for time and you had to cut one, which one should you cut? Well, the, the mistake that I think most people make is they cut the pre-conference and in reality, if you're observing in a classroom and giving a teacher feedback without a pre-conference, it's not coaching. Um, that doesn't mean it's bad, but it's it's not coaching. It's uh, it's could be mentoring, it could be supervision or evaluation, but in order to be coaching, the work of the coach needs to be driven by the teacher, 
if I have a quality pre-conference with you, I know exactly what I should be doing during the observation. So I'm conscious of that and avoid getting distracted. And then the door is open for me to provide you the feedback in the post-conference because you gave me permission and requested me to give you that feedback. Um, so it's, it's, it's just easy for us to now engage in that conversation. So the, the pre-conference is what sets the teacher up to be reflective. Mm -hmm. and, and I think um, you can tell the teacher, like, is there a specific area you'd like me to focus in on for this lesson based on our previous video conference with you? I've tried that. And it's already made a huge difference so I'll, that I coach. I'll, I'll give you, go ahead. Okay. I was going to say, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you one more uh, 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 coaching on that question. Mm -hmm. um, and that is to avoid the word is. Uh, because it it, uh, it sets them up to come back with, no, I can't think of anything. Uh, and instead, now that you've described what the teacher's doing and what the students are doing, where would be a good place for me to focus my attention? So that when we uh, when we talk in the uh, in the post, I can I can share that information with you. Absolutely. Uh, you just problem with the, be better the coach problem. already. <laughs> The problem with the is, is the problem with is, is that too many teachers interpret that as where do you think you might have a problem? Mm -hmm. Now, that's not what you said, but that's where the teacher's interpretation goes. And so right. if, if I just, you know, you've, there's, you've all these things you've named now, where would be the best place for me to put my attention? Makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to try that now. I'm going to be a better coach already. Okay. So you were talking about the pre-conference, post-conference or pre-conference observation, post-conference. Which of those three, if I had to cut one, which one should I cut? Yeah, the one I'd cut, and this is going to sound strange to lots of lots of folks, the one I'd cut is the observation. Because hmm. if you did the pre-conference, uh, the teacher would establish what is critical and important uh, in his or her mind. And, uh, and then when you came back in the post-conference, uh, you'd work off of the teacher's recall and reflection. So it wouldn't have the power that it would have had you also been another set of eyes and ears in the classroom collecting information. Um, but I give you an example when I'm coaching, especially coaching administrators or coaching counselors, that's not an uncommon framework for me to work in. So we'll have a pre-conference before a difficult meeting that they're going to have. They then go and have the meeting. And then we come back and do a post-conference debrief. And while they don't have my observations, they have their own observations. And my job is to assist them in the reflection that they're doing off of their own observations. Right. And if you have a good pre-conference, then you, you get some good reflection as well. So they are more intentional about whatever it is they're doing in meeting or lesson. Yeah, absolutely. The, the word I would use is conscious. Whatever it is, whatever the thinking you did in the pre-conference, you're now conscious about that part. So uh, if a teacher said the, you know, the, the, the way that I respond to students' incorrect answers is going to be very important. Well, when that starts to happen in the classroom, the teacher's consciousness clicks in because uh, the pre-conference took place. Okay, so I'm going to shortly wrap up this coaching conversation. I know Trey is really excited about me <laughs> wrapping it up, but, no, but uh, is there a book on coaching that you would say like, 
this book should be preserved forever on instructional coaching. You can even pick one of yours. That's fine. It's not <laughs> self-serving. So yeah, the, here's the hard part. Uh, uh, the, the book I wrote on instructional coaching was actually my second book. So that book's called instructional coaching with the, with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. And, and that gives people focus on that backwards planning process. But, but when push comes to shove, actually my first book, which was called quality teaching and a culture of coaching is the one that I think needs preservation because it identifies the critical verbal communication skills that fit into all kinds of coaching. So actually when I wrote that book, I was more focused on peer coaching than on instructional coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it trains the questioning paraphrases, feedback, um, verbal communication skills uh, that to me are critical for people to work in that coaching role. And just for our listeners who aren't familiar, what's the difference between peer coaching and instructional coaching? Um, in, in peer coaching, I'm it, it, as I define it. In peer coaching, I'm I'm working with a colleague who has only given me the feedback that I specifically requested. Um, I then describe a, a behavior called mentoring, and in in mentoring, I'm working with someone who's got a, a deeper, richer background in training than I do, and so they'll see things that I'm missing. And they'll point those things uh, out to me. Um, And when I'm working with instructional coaches, instructional coaches are sometimes peer coaching, meaning they're doing exactly what the teacher asked them to do and giving them that feedback. They're sometimes mentoring because they're giving a teacher feedback on a a, a school-wide issue or program that the teacher perhaps didn't necessarily request from the, from the instructional coach. And then instructional coaches can get very close to supervision. When an, when an administrator tells a teacher that the, the likelihood of continuous uh, employment will go up if you spend some time with the instructional coach. So now the teacher comes and requests your help and support, but they're really perceiving you as part of that evaluation process, even though you aren't. There may be no feedback. So uh, instructional coaches have a difficult uh, role because they need to communicate clearly to teachers which of those roles they're working in. And as an instructional coach, I want to be spending as much of my time peer coaching as I can because it means my coaching work is being driven by the teacher. But I have a responsibility to my role in the building and the district to, uh, to some at times expand it beyond what the teacher's request is, but the verbal communication skills are critical across the board. Well, speaking of the teacher, Steve, I I wondered, we have about about seven or eight instructional coaches here. I think think we're up to nine or nine, uh, but we do have a ton of teachers. And for those teachers who may think, Hey, I might, might want to look towards that in the future. Is there any advice you can give our teachers that kind of to wrap their minds around how to kind of shift their mindset or things that they can apply in the classroom to that mindset if they're looking to, further their career in that direction? Yeah, the first thing they should do is request coaching. Hmm. The best way to learn to be an effective coach is to be coached. And you can be coached by ineffective people. <laughs> and that can, and that can, and you can learn from that. Um, but in, in, my, in, in my work, 
I describe that coaches should be the most coached person in the building. So coaches frequently do model lessons. Well, nearly every time you do a model lesson, you should be being coached on it. Uh, coaches should be having their their uh, model lessons uh, uh, recorded and pulling clips from time to time and sitting down with groups of teachers and requesting teachers to analyze and 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 give them give them feedback on that. So uh, the the best way to become an effective coach is to start out by being coached. And chances are good if a person invites lots of people to coach you, those people will start inviting you to coach them. And that's a way for you to begin to step into that teacher leadership role, Um, a, a teacher leadership role that doesn't have to be, quote, assigned to you. People give it to you. Makes sense. Um, you mentioned that you had started your career in the kind of kindergarten through eighth grade model. Do you do you like that model for a school? Like, what do you like about the K eight model, or what do you not like? Yeah, no, I um, I, I really like the K the K eight model, and uh, I'll give you a, a, a couple of just uh, out of the research feedbacks, and then my personal. Um, if you talk to people at um, state department levels. They can look at standardized test scores and they can tell you at what grade level kids moved from the elementary school to the middle school. So whether they move at the end of fifth or the end of sixth or the, wherever that move is, there's a, uh, there's a drop occurs in, in, uh, in, in student learning. So you'll find some systems went to, went back to K-8s just to take one of those, uh, uh, drops out of a kid's uh, K-12 career because the other one occurs on that move into, into high school. So statistically, um, there, there's, there's a, a, a great reason. Backing that up from a teacher standpoint, the more teachers in a school work as a team and know the students, uh, the better the teachers can design learning and instruction for the kids. And so the concept of moving kids to another school and putting walls between the teachers and their communication um, just creates another level of difficulty for teachers to be teaming that we don't need to uh, don't need to have in have have in place. Um, I, I, I jokingly talk about the uh, the student with the uh, spiked hair and uh, and earrings who's <laughs> sitting sitting in the in outside the office in trouble and he's in the K8 school and the kindergarten teacher comes up and grabs his uh, cheek and says Tommy are you in trouble again <laughs> and there's no middle school that would there's no middle school teacher that would realize that's Tommy okay <laughs> but this teacher who had it back in kindergarten she knows uh, she knows and uh, and that's that's just a powerful uh, piece and then I want to give you the last one that's most critical to me. Um, and that is, if you're in a K-8 school, most of the time, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade students are given responsibility. So they, they, uh, they serve as tutors for younger kids. They, uh, they work on projects. They're, they, they're building things for the playground. So there's so many opportunities 
for that adolescent to begin learning those critical leadership skills that we take away from kids when we when we move them off and put them in that in that middle school setting. We don't give kids the level of responsibility and f- actually freedom. In most K-8s, the eighth grade kids are expected to be responsible and, and, and to have freedoms that when they get moved into the middle school, um, there's a tendency for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade kids at the middle school to be treated the same. Yeah. So the, eight, the eighth graders have to follow the same rules that the sixth graders do. No, it definitely it helps empower them as leaders. I would say with our eighth graders. Absolutely, absolutely. I um, I, I've 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 written a blog, uh, and I've done some podcasts on uh, on multi age, uh, and I'm just a really strong supporter. If you think almost all the all the learning that kids do outside of school, uh, is is multi age. Yeah. So. So when I was in 4-H, uh, you know, as a uh, as a nine and 10 year old, I was going to 4-H meetings with 16 and 17 year old. Same with Boy Scouts, same in a in a, in a church choir. When I when I uh, got to high school and I played soccer uh, and, and joined the band as a uh, low performing ninth grader, um, I spent my practice time with higher advanced juniors and seniors. But when I went to music class, I only went there with ninth grade kids. Like it just didn't make any sense to not take those same uh, multi uh, age uh, opportunities that exist outside of school and then take them away at the school. Great. Okay. So we're, we're finished kind of more the educational section. I'm going to talk, toss it over to Mr. Trey to wrap up with the final three questions. Sure. Yeah. We're going to shift gears here a bit. We're going to ask you uh, three questions that we ask all of our guests uh, on each episode. We did have to modify the first question a bit uh, because, you know, you don't work with us here at TPP, but uh, it's along the same line. So the first question is which fictional character do you most identify with, or is there a fictional character that uh, is a good example of a coach at heart? Wow. I think my answer is going to fit for both ways you do the question. And uh, so I'm going to get, I'm going to give a homework assignment with mine because all the, all the young folks are going to have to go on Google and find out what I'm talking about. (laughs) But my, uh, my example is Mr. Ed. The talking horse. Mr. Ed, the talking horse. (laughs) That's great. And, and here's my reason. Uh, uh, Mr. Ed didn't do a whole lot of talking. <laughs> and uh, when he made a statement, it was simple, but powerful. It, it, it had an insightful, powerful impact. And um, I've spent a large part of my career, and it's actually one of the things I take as a compliment when someone tells me, wow, you made that sound simple. Not simplistic but simple. And uh, not too long ago at the end of, uh, I'd done a whole day of training on coaching with administrators and instructional coaches. Actually, it was, it was in Texas. And uh, the, the, the person who had organized the event, when they went to thank me, the, the description that they gave was that I was able to make the presentation simple and powerful. 
Uh, and, and actually, that's a large part of what I'm trying to learn when I'm writing my blogs and doing my podcast is that I have to work on this concept until I can bring it down in my head to a, to a, a one, two, three. It's kind of like, this is what it is. Um, and so when I was, th- when I was, when I, when I thinking about what I'd like to connect to Mr. Ed, the talking horse is an example of it. Right. And, and even your feedback to me about just the word is, that was a simple but powerful coaching moment for me to reflect on. And uh, I think, I think they got peanut butter on the horse's lips. I think that's how they made them talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think for your coaches, you want them to come from a stable background. Oh. <laughs> we'll move on to the second question. Uh, pretend that joke never happened. Um, so because there's uh, too many naysayers, <laughs> a lot of naysayers. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, for the next question, what one thing would you uninvent if you could and why? School. Wow. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Explain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because um, you know, years ago, I started making this statement. I would be most excited when you drove into a community and couldn't find the school. And the reason for that is the kids and teachers at that moment would be wherever the greatest opportunity for learning existed. Okay. Uh, so years years back in, in Minneapolis, they had the zoo school. <laughs> and there were a group of teachers and kids who did their time at the zoo. <laughs> wow. Uh, and those kids went on to top universities doing big things. Um, all the zoo was, was the place that their learning came alive. Um, I've, uh, I've done quite a bit of, of reading and a, a little bit of work with some schools here in uh, Switzerland and Germany that do forest kindergarten. So in the smaller version, the, the kids are uh, uh, a half a day a week they spend in the forest. And that half day is fixed at the beginning of the year. So it's going to be every Wednesday morning. So if you're sending a kindergartner off to school and it's a Wednesday, take a look outside. You know, if it's pouring rain, you know how to dress your kid. If it's cold and snowing, you know how to dress your kid. But they're going to spend this day, no matter what the weather is, um, uh, in, in the woods. Um, I've, um, I've, I've followed lots of... Uh, hands-on learning opportunities. Um, and I, the, the more we got locked into school being this place, um, the, the more we're missing opportunities for that learning uh, to, to, to be occurring. And, 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 and technology now, you know, should have multiplied that. I, I don't know if this would shock you, but I'm in schools where kids are studying a foreign language and they aren't on Skype talking with kids who are naturally speaking that language, trying to learn English. I I mean, I I don't, I just don't, I don't get it, you know? Right. Right. So my question is like, I get, I get what you're saying that imagine a science lesson where you're out in the forest in kindergarten or a history lesson where you're out on the site of a battle or something but how would that work for teaching math? Like, does everyone still have to have whiteboards? Does, I mean, you know, like. 
Yeah, I'm not I'm not opposed to any of those. But think about think about what happened if what would happen. I guess the best way to describe it would be if you look at project based learning mm-hmm. um, or I, I worked years ago with a gentleman who took his curriculum and he put it up on the walls of his classroom. And then he started the kids in projects okay. and he was constantly looking for when he could take something off the wall because it fit into his project. It, I'm sorry, not his project and fit into the kids project. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and so the degree that you could approach learning like that and then decide um, um, what are those couple of things that we can't make happen in a project. I, I did one with a, with a, a teacher, his kids, um, his kids basically reenacted the Pilgrim's arrival. It was a school in Massachusetts. And they basically put together as if they were the arriving uh, a group into the new land and were going to work together. And they came in and found an empty classroom. And the kids ended up building their desk and benches that they were going to use in their classroom. Uh, and he pulled out the history book and they, they read about the, uh, the Mayflower Compact uh, they read about the contracts and they wrote deals with local businesses where the businesses got free food every time the kids cooked and they got tickets to all the things the kids were doing in exchange for a $50 stock option in their classroom. And at the end of the year, they sold everything they made and d- delivered the money back to the to the shareholders, all of whom had written it off on their taxes. And so they couldn't take it back and had to let the, had to let the kids... Uh, keep it. So I just give you all of those. And and, and then interesting that teacher had to deal with kids that he would not take any project time away from them. Let me rephrase that. He would only take project time away from them when there were things that weren't coming up in their projects that he needed to teach because of the curriculum. And one of the examples he gave was electricity. (laughs) Electricity (laughs) wasn't going to naturally come up. So we had put some time aside to to, uh, to, to learn these things. And, and that's all I'm, I'm suggesting is that there's tons of opportunities we could be adding. Absolutely. And for all of the math teachers who are listening in, if they haven't tapped into Dan Myers, uh, that's a person they should Google and search because he does a great job. He's got a lot of video clips that he's prepared where you can show the kids uh, uh, a basketball being shot up to a hoop and then freeze frame. And the kids have to decide whether or not that shot's going to go in. Yeah, he's three act uh, math, right? Yeah, exactly. Math, that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. So yeah. uh, that's not nearly as far out as I was pushing this from your question, but it's a great <laughs> it's a great spot for people to stop and be thinking about what could be different. Very cool. Yeah, that might be the hottest take we've had on that question. <laughs> I would invent school. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, mic drop. As long as I'm not out of a job, that's fine. Though. Okay, so for the last question. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, before you go on, because this is important. Make sure that you heard, I didn't say uninvent education. Yes. Okay, it's that that structure of locked in walls, locked in schedules. Um, I'm gonna push just one more. I'm always interested, I have a room full of building principles and I'm talking about creating collaborative uh, teacher uh, collective efficacy and teachers working together. And I have a whole world of principals who look up at me and go, there's just no time in the schedule for teachers to collaborate. And I'll stop and go, man, 
I wish we could talk to the people who do the scheduling. <laughs> they're all sitting there in the room. Exactly. But they're locked in to something that's been invented that they think can't be changed. Right. They just take it as like the walls. Like it's a structure there. Bingo. Break, Bingo. break the wheel. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Okay, so for our, our final question, uh, outside of school, uh, very appropriate, outside of education, is there any general life advice that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, I have my 70th birthday coming up. Um, oh, congratulations. So I will, uh, I will say that the biggest insight realization I've had is not to stop learning. Um, so I've, I've, uh, I've moved to, uh, uh, to Switzerland and I have, uh, I have five year residency now when I apply for my next residency, um, I have to uh, take a German test. So, um, I am on day 410 of studying German uh, on Duolingo online without, uh, without, uh, without missing a day. Um, I'm on a whole lot of LinkedIn, Twitter uh, searches. Um, pretty rare if I've got 10 minutes at the airport and I'm thumbing down through Twitter for 10 minutes, I'm likely to find an article, a blog, uh, something I'm going to read to ex extend, uh, extend my learning. Um, and uh, I, I think that's, uh, that, that's a big key to, um, to, uh, to happiness. That's very well said. And I, I wonder if you're learning on Duolingo, are you also Skyping with native speakers of the language? No, because I'm living in Germany and I mean, <laughs> so, well, oh, you I'm Skype. living in Switzerland. I'm living in Switzerland and they're right here in the store. The biggest struggle I have is they all want to practice English as soon as they see me. <laughs> <laughs> and so they talk to me in English and I have to answer them back in, uh, in German in order to get the practice in. Okay. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your, uh, your busy day. And, and you're very, very welcome. Very welcome. I, I enjoyed it. We, we, uh, we just want to say we, we all follow you on at Steve Barkley on Twitter. Uh, we want our listeners to go check you out. Uh, Steve Barkley ponders out loud is the podcast. It's available on, on Apple, uh, Apple podcasts. Uh, so thank you again, Steve, so much. This was great. You're very welcome. Thank you. Right, have, have a good day, day guys. Right. Yeah. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Bolt Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at The Bolt Pod for episode updates or reach out to us at thebolt at trinitybasin.net. As always, do more, expect more, and be more. Real quick, I want to take a quick break. We're gonna uh, we're gonna connect a hardware connection uh, just so we just so don't have any more digitizing, but it may take the connection now for just a second. So if you'll just bear with okay. us for uh, just Go ahead. Seconds, I think we'll be good. Technology is great when it works. Yeah. <laughs>